Welcome to the Sleeping Barber Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Sleeping Barber Podcast. We're excited to have Mary Kiriakidi, a global thought leader at Kantar and longtime friend of the show, join us once again. Mary will be sharing her insights on modern marketing dilemmas based on a series of articles she recently wrote. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the Sleeping Barber Podcast, a place for business leaders to get the best and most credible information on marketing, strategy, and innovation. Your hosts, Mark Binkley and Vasily Sturos, share their experiences as they gather insights from the world's leading experts. Now, on with the show. Well, we have an amazing guest for you today. It's Mary Kiriakidi. Mary, welcome back to the show. It's great to be here. Nice to yeah, see you so, both. Yes. Nice to so see excited. you here, Vasily, as well. Yeah, That's I'm excited right. too. Carlos so, Sori says, Mary. I first of all, Carlos is there it it's is. It's all Greek to me. That's it, go. right? It's a joke. I've <laughs> been waiting Greeks to say that. <laughs> we should have the whole thing in Greek, you know? Um, uh, I, maybe maybe not that many people will listen to it. But no, it probably not. Yeah. So good. I can say Yiro and Saganaki and Opa. There it is. Okay. That's so you make us want to eat and dance effectively. But yeah, okay. <laughs> you don't want to see me dance. It's not It's not. <laughs> or whatever um anyhow well anyway we've so mary we're excited to have you here for a whole bunch of reasons uh first of all we're going to talk about branding and the consumer decision journey you've written a couple articles well a whole series of articles over this last year yes we wanted to kind of explore two of them specifically Mm -hmm. um but you were our first guest on the show last year and so we're excited to have you back this is really awesome um and then just for reference, uh, for people who are listening, you're a global thought leader at Kantar, mm-hmm. formerly the VP of business development and brand or brand development and brand insight. Um, you have an MSc in gender and media, which we talked about a little bit before uh, last time at London School of Economics and Political Science. So we're really excited to have you back. Um, and And to start with, you had a wish for marketers last year. Mm-hmm. You're talking about one of the things as a takeaway you hope people got out of 2022. Can you just talk a little bit about that wish and just talk about how your wish went? My wish was to get consensus, right? Because I suspect that's what it was. I, I always wish for that. Um, <laughs> and I... Um, and I'm the eternal optimist. Um, so I... I don't know, actually. Um, let's think about the answer. But the, in a way, the modern marketing dilemmas aim to do exactly that. We tackled a number of themes where people disagree. You know, um, mm-hmm. Many of these themes have for decades polarized marketers. And uh, so we tackled them and mm-hmm. we tried to be impartial in the creation process. You know, we brought um, opposing using. It's quite important. Mm-hmm. We did some more research. We, you know, our R&D was feeding in throughout and mm-hmm. we retested hypotheses. So it was every single one of those articles had themes, had a lot of data, a lot of new data behind it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've done my bit, <laughs> you know, with, mm-hmm. an, with an array of scientists behind me. But um, to be honest, I don't think we're, I don't think we're quite there yet. Um, mm-hmm. As in, in terms of the industry consensus, uh, we haven't reached it yet. And I suppose mm-hmm. this is the adjective maybe to highlight yet. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and, and so, so a couple of those modern marketing dilemma articles we're going to talk more about are the role that brand has in consumer decision journey, and then performance branding, which in some cases sounds like an oxymoron to people because we always talk about performance advertising being like low level, yeah. but now we're talking about performance branding. So there's a lot of things in those uh, that we want to dig into. Um, so really excited to have you here. Um, Thank you. In terms of the consensus about driving growth, I think yes. generally there's probably a consensus around mental and physical availability being mm -hmm. key fundamental components of, of driving growth. Would you agree with that? I mean, yeah, I do. I do. I do. Yeah. There is... Um, Okay, so we're off to a good start. We're off to a great start. Here we go. <laughs> That's true, actually. Yes, you're right. We have consensus. Um, yes, uh, we're getting three. there. Um, we didn't start with a disagreement. I mean, there's yeah. a fair amount of magic that happens when mental and physical availability overlap. And, mm -hmm. and that magic um, translates into a sale. There's revenue comes in. A sale is made. But that's mm -hmm. all for now. That's all for the present right and mm -hmm. you're looking beyond a year's horizon you've got to think about sustainable growth you've got to mm -hmm. think about the type of growth where you know it's a it's with stronger roots uh, and and mm -hmm. it comes with longer term benefits and i suppose if i was to disagree i would disagree with that in mind um i do believe that in magic it's a magical moment but it's for now mm -hmm. um um we we've 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 done a lot of research to understand what triggers consumers to make decisions. Um, mm -hmm. we, we tried to deconstruct um, that decision um, journey process. Uh, mm -hmm. And it's, one, it's in one of the articles that uh, probably brought us together again. Uh, mm -hmm. the, uh, what's the title of it? Uh, uh, mm -hmm. oh, yes, the, 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 the role that brand plays in the brand consumer, plays in consumer decision journey. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and so with in relation to the triggers, maybe you can talk a little bit about that and the research that you guys have um, have done on on triggers. Yes, we've um, we've identified three stages. There's a beautiful pie chart there. Uh, it's the donut, rather actually. It is um, so. Consumers are in all these three stages. Consumers are under the influence of some kind of persuasion, um, and then right. if you flip this on its head. Um, we we did that because we wanted to frame our advice to marketers. So we're saying to them, so you should pay attention to these three facets of the consumer decision journey. Because if you do, then you will realize our studies so show a phenomenal forty six percent growth. Um, but but not all um, not all stages play the same role. You see, that's that's the beauty of it. Um, there we have. Um, we have equity there, we have experience there, we have activation there, but what we have found out is that equity plays the most crucial role. Um, uh, and if you have equity, you will trigger future sales. Uh, your, your investors will, will relish the intangible value of your brand and, and give it a, a generous market capitalization because, because they know that um, sales and profit come from future buyers. Um, mm -hmm. So that's why, um, that's why I suppose um, equity plays such an important role. It's those uh, positive perceptions in the minds of every buyer 
not just mm-hmm. the ones who are currently in their Dubai now, but also the ones who are light buyers now and will be buyers in the future. Um, that's why it's the most important driver of growth. Um, um, but, mm-hmm. but you know, the now is very important too. Um, and, yeah. and it's very important for current sales. Um, and this is what we call, I mean, everyone calls it activation, but in this specific donut chart, we call it the activation phase because um, people who find themselves in the moment of buying, you know, whether it's, a, it's an impulse uh, buy or whether they go to the supermarket with their um, post-it note uh, and mm-hmm. they know exactly what to buy, they will, they will be able to easily identify a brand that they associated mm-hmm. with a need uh, now. You know, they, mm-hmm. they, they will reach for the product on the shelf, whether it's physical or digital self. Um, so that's why activation is really important, that magic where a sale is made right mm-hmm. now. And, and then I suppose the third one is experience. Um, mm-hmm. um, experience is also very important because it triggers repeat sales. Um, and it all comes back to the um, uh, to the, to the to the to brand purchasing being like a like a leaky bucket, right? The mm-hmm. a load goes out the bottom, uh, and if you only try to uh, limit defection uh, to reduce that churn, then you will set limits on your future growth, on your company's growth. But um, if you think like a plumber, you know, if you, if you follow simple plumbing, plumbing economics, uh, the less that goes out the bottom, the mm-hmm. less you have to put, put back in. And and to, to switch back to plumbing, plumbing to marketing, you know, the, mm. the less people you lose, the more likely you will be to grow by penetration gain. Mm-hmm. So the, these three facets, these three stages, uh, we've identified what we... Uh, deconstructed the consumer mm-hmm. decision journey, and this is our advice to marketers: do those three, do those three, and future growth will find you, mm-hmm. or you will find it. Yeah, that's super interesting. So when when we think about the three straight stages, then at, 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 and through the customer lens, if you will, and you mentioned that equity is probably one that has the largest. I just wanted to get an, a sense of idea here in terms of the other two stages, or I guess in total, what. What do they have an equal value to the customer, or are they, you know, again, kind of like skewed in, in one of the three stages more? What what does that relationship look like? Uh, so the overall the contribution is um, it adds up to a forty seven percent. So uh, um, okay. the experience uh, experience triggers triggers repeat sales. Um, it's um, it can yield seventy percent growth. Uh, this is what we've, but I should say actually at this point that we, we, we shouldn't just think of experience as something that is, um, that is only important to service brands. You know, it's, it's, it's the consumer's okay. package goods, the FMCG mm-hmm. products can also create a sense of experience um, they offer through their marketing. Uh, it's for mm-hmm. all products and services. Yes. Right. When you're talking about equity, it, I mean, it's such a big word, but for the first time I had this idea pop in my head where equity in my mind is almost like annual recurring revenue. Like there's an expectation that you're going to 
in consumer packaged goods, let's say, or in regular retail or something like that, you don't have a guarantee for future purchases, but brand equities gives you an idea similar in B2B where you've got, let's say a SaaS product and you have subscription model. Mm -hmm. um, your annual recurring revenue is kind of like part of what's driving the equity in that brand. Yes. And, and I think what you're saying in terms of equity on say the CPG or the business consumer side is that the, the, the larger your equity, the more likely people are to choose you in the future. And so it provides them sort of assurance or comfort that the company is going to be successful into the long term, not just today because we had a big sale. Is correct, correct. The more people are predisposed to your brand, the more likely they are to reach out for you on the shelf. Um, again, digital or physical, uh, now mm -hmm. and in the future. Yes. That's exactly yeah. what we're saying. Here. Okay. Okay. Um, in, in terms of um, the model, like there's even, so this is another area potentially where uh, there's a lot of disagreement and maybe out of alignment. Let's see. But you get, you guys have, uh, it's an interesting model, like thinking about equity, um, I don't remember the, the sections again, experience and then activation. Mm -hmm. So those are important parts. In my mind, as you were saying that it kind of relates to equity is almost the mental component. The experience is a little bit of the physical components slash digital. And then mm -hmm. activation is maybe a, a lever that you have to pull to bring in sales today. Mm -hmm. um, if I'm understanding that correctly, you understand. But there's the yeah. so there's so there's a, there's that's a model. But then there's also other models like the sales funnel. We were yeah. talking about leaky buckets, and then we're like Ada, and then we're talking about there's um, consumer decision journey. I mean, all these there's all these different models that exist out there. And is there is there um, a way to kind of think about these things that so they're not totally different from one another and that we're not arguing over the models, you think? Um, yeah, uh, the, the potentially. So in the, um, I think I, um, I tried to compare the, the, the donut to the funnel mm -hmm. and um, the, the, the equity part of the donut uh, mm -hmm. reflects the upper part of the funnel. And then mm -hmm. the other two, as you very well said, is, is linked, is mirrored uh, against the, the, the bottom part of the funnel. Um, and and I, you're right, you're right. I mean, everyone has got their own models. Um, and in in everything that we do, uh, MDF, I'm sure it will come up, you know, the meaningfully different framework mm -hmm. is behind it. And we're right. not, um, I mean, we're passionate about it because it's, um, We've done a lot of research, uh, and a lot of a lot of brain power has gone into this, and we tested and retested um, our theories. Mm -hmm. But we're not we're not pushing anyone, you know, maybe a general push towards it uh, specifically. Mm -hmm. You know, we, if if somebody comes to us and goes, oh well, actually, I want to uh, uh, to use the the funnel instead, um, mm -hmm. and let's talk about consideration. Let's talk about awareness. Let's talk about purchase, um, and 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 forget about that. We're not gonna. We're not objecting to it. Um, I think one one of the things um, to uh, to remember about marketing is that it's um, 
it's beautiful because it's imperfect. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I would say that for for every finding, you know, there's a, there is a, there's potentially an example that falsifies it, and none of the data truths uh, are absolute. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, they can't be because you know the things that we're looking at are intrinsically different to generate rules from. But there is a certain beauty um, mm-hmm. uh, in something being imperfect and. You know, new data validations don't necessarily invalidate exist- existing mm-hmm. truth. They just prove that another path exists too. And and this is where we stand on that. Um, but it's a pretty good model because it's been tested <laughs> and it worked um, with clients, always mm-hmm. with clients of ours. Yeah. I love what you said there, that marketing is beautiful because it's imperfect. I think that's, mm. uh, that's it's, a, it's a unique way to think. Because I think as, as marketers, everyone really tries to find their sandboxes and really kind of lean on, you know, either, you know, what, what consumer decision journey and whatnot. But the reality is you can, you know, adapt it and adopt it the way you need in the moment for your product, service, et cetera. So I think that there's not very many other disciplines in business that have that kind of flexibility mm. as marketing does. So I think that's a, that's a really nice way of putting that. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of mental availability, I just want to come back to that for a minute. Cause mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I think <clears throat> we were just talking about this beforehand. I'm starting to play guitar and bands and whatnot. Um, and so I think about music a lot lately yeah. more than ever. And, and in blues, there's this call and response thing. And I think about, you know, one person says something and then the audience responds back. And that's kind of the call and response that happens in music. And I think mm-hmm. about ads the same way. And then, so an ad is like the call and the response is the customer feedback, let's say, mm-hmm. to that ad or, you know, reviews and so on and so forth. Um, and so ads, I think of as sort of setting a promise um, and then creating an expectation in the minds of a consumer and then the actual experience of purchasing the product, it kind of validates or, um, what's the opposite of validate? Contradicts the promise. Yeah. And so in my mind, kind of brand building is a little bit about bringing those two things together as close as you can. So you say something and then the customer experiences it and they go, yeah, that was 100% accurate. Mm. right or mm. if it's really far apart and you go that's terrible everything they say is a lie <laughs> so then he has just amplify their own truth as opposed to whatever it is that they're saying yes um, yeah go on go yeah. on no i was just gonna say like i don't know if that's uh, crazy or if it's just something like is there any kind of i validity to the, to that idea and how you guys think about no it's experience not of customer I mean, brands i think you um I think actually what you say couldn't be more true. I mean, we have found in our research that only 25% of brand building comes from paid media. You know, mm. within that, for instance, seven, seven, uh, uh, less than 10 is TV ad. So 25% of brand building comes from paid media. Now, the, the remaining pretty big chunk of three quarters comes from experiential touch points. So think about it, it's huge, right? So the um, experiential touch points like product um, and service experiences or word of mouth, they contribute up to 70%, 75% of a brand's equity. It's a bit, pretty, pretty big number. You know, and that element of trust that you mentioned is quite important if you want to succeed in that 75% space. Um, so, so a, a large part of it 
does indeed come from meeting expectations and building trust, you know, because mm-hmm. as trust scores increase, mm-hmm. so with the average brand value. And 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 the more the more you are trusted by your customers, the more your brand is worth. It's about it's about fulfilling a promise. It's about um, um, trust. It's a trust exercise. Mm-hmm. Well, that's incredible because I never thought of you know. We, we all understand like brand is the responsibility essentially of the entire organization. You know, when you think about, you know, various departments that have equal, mm-hmm. uh, maybe equals, maybe not the right word, but they have a responsibility to the brand of itself. Marketing at the same time probably gets, and maybe this is, you know, maybe this is an overgeneralization, but sometimes gets like the, the, the blunt end of, of the stick because it's like marketing's responsibility to drive brand when it's actually, it's an organization's responsibility to really drive mm-hmm. brand. So when I think about, you know, how important experience design is in building brands, and I'd love to hear your take on this, Mm -hmm. how do you Mm -hmm. see that actually coexisting or living more holistically in organizations? Um, Yeah. Um, I mean, they've got, they've got to get involved in that because um, it's, um, it's got to overlap as I mean, the, um, it's, There is no, there's no point in designing, let's say, the best experience if it's not going to be profitable or if it doesn't resonate, yeah. it doesn't convey it well. And, and mm-hmm. you've got to understand if you are exceeding or, or falling short of your customers' expectations. Yeah. Um, and I would, say, I, mean, I would go as far as to say that um, such an insight of, 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 of whether you are creating an overlap there could potentially turn a crisis around or could right. potentially even turn that crisis into an opportunity. Um, we talked about magic before, and there is a lot of magic, you know, uh, a lot of magical moments in marketing. And there is a certain magic that happens mm-hmm. here too. Um, yeah. When consumers experience overlap with their expectations. So those expectations are effectively based on a brand's promise, mm-hmm. uh, right? Um, yeah. So the, the two things have to, uh, have yeah. to be sync. I just, as you're saying that, I was flashing back. You're just saying magic, and I was flashing back to the Magic Kingdom. So Disney mm-hmm. World, and we went there over the Christmas break, and ah, it was a different type of magic experience. I've had. Ah, well, yes, if you think so bad, it was just like awful, and oh, it was, and then, but I was like, I kept saying to people, I was using their own tagline, "The happiest place on earth," or whatever that line is. To say how I even said to Davi, I think yeah. like, this is definitely not the happiest place on earth. Like everyone was miserable. <laughs> oh, Lineups dear. galore, nowhere to sit. Like it was off. Like it was just horrible. <laughs> what did your this kids is how think? the kids feel as well. This exactly. is how they hated it until they got off the ride. They're like, that was so fun. Let's go to the next one. And then we would like wait in a two hour lineup. And then <laughs> this happened once we got into the two hour lineup. And we got to the very front of the line, and then all of a sudden they canceled the. They had to shut down the ride, and they oh, had to no. kick everyone off. And so the girls were just in Devastated. tears, it absolutely oh, devastated, because no. it was supposed to be our last ride of the day. We just waited two hours because I think wait for terrible. You know, I hear I you can pay more to get um, at the very front of the line, maybe. Well, no, no I, we can. Sorry, what? We can pay more. <laughs> you can pay more. I think. Oh, you pay oh, more yeah, yeah, yeah. We pay. did. Oh yeah. Not right. <laughs> yeah, we did. <laughs> and then yeah. when they got to the front, then it just Oh dear. Oh, that's oh. that's even worse then. 
Yeah, but it was, but it's kind of like that brand experience and the magic you were talking about. Like, had it been an incredible experience, it might have just been us. Maybe it was a bad day, but it was nothing. Mm. And there's like people wearing shirts like I grew this beard in the lineup at Disney. <laughs> like, <laughs> Disney, most expensive day ever. <laughs> so it's one of those things, though, but like you, they create this expectation and then you have this experience and I mean, for some people, it probably is the most magical place on earth. And other times, like in my scenario, yeah, like it just all those messages and all ads now are going to amplify every time I think of that experience, no matter what they say there in their ads, that experience is going to trump any kind of messaging that they can. Sure. Yes. I mean, the overlap scenario, the overlapping scenario is magical. It's the dream scenario, but there's also your scenario, the nightmare scenario where there's a gap. Yeah. The reality so, is, though, even that example, Mark, I think, you know, every time someone will prompt you or you're in a discussion around Disney, you will probably go back to your experience, which mm-hmm. is now your truth. Mm-hmm. And you will emanate that to as, as a story to those that, that, you know, potentially inquire, hey, what was that like? Should we do it? Should we not do mm-hmm. it? So it, it it's kind of interesting. But the reality is now you've already been, I don't want to use the word tainted, but Mm-hmm. kind of like you've had a bad experience so you're not going to speak about disney in a real positive light yeah mm. so that's anyways i think it's a, an interesting and that's a reality but, though yeah well it comes back to what you were saying earlier mary too about experience making such a big difference for any company it's not just disney but exactly mm-hmm. we don't mm-hmm. often think about dis like our own companies <coughs> like disney but you know go to a counter to buy a, or try and find a pair of shoes that are at a yeah. store or mm. Like that's part of the experience, um, you know, going to a restaurant, ordering, you know, a dinner with your family. Like that's, that's an experience. And so we don't always think about Disney like experiences for companies, but I mean, we all have them and you can design brand elements to be memorable, different, distinctive. Yes. Even loyalty schemes are now being created as experiences or there is the attempt to do so anyway. Mm-hmm. If I don't get a flaming saganaki from a Greek restaurant, I'm sorry, I'm walking out. <laughs> right? It's a bad experience. Yeah, everyone gets super excited. It's one of the most exciting uh, meals me? in the Flames. I wa- yeah. I, I, I want to get the, the fruit and the dessert in the end for free as a, you know, this is our specialité, uh, yeah. as, mm. as they say. Um, and it just gives you that homely feeling. It's part of the totally. Greek experience, it feels that. Um, yeah. Some still do, some don't. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, in relation to differentiation, and we were just talking about this, like you can have companies or in Greek restaurants that, that all have the same kind of service or, or menu uh, or shoes or, you know, products that they sell, cars, that kind mm-hmm. of thing. Um, can brands sell the same product but win by differentiating the the customer experience, like, is there any research you guys have seen there or yes. done research there or found examples? Yeah, we've, we've, um, we've been thinking about it a lot actually. And we present it as a, a as a virtuous cycle. I mm-hmm. mean, we present it as a symbolic relationship between experiences and expectations. We actually often say that experiences and expectations are the happy bedfellows of brand building. And, mm. um, 
there the are two, um, two arrows uh, on the cycle. You know, our experiences are feeding our expectations. And then equally on the other side, our expectations are framing our experiences. So, mm. so, so, the, um, so for the first bit, with the experiences that are feeding into um, our expectations, our brand memories, the uh, inspiration there was um, Daniel Kahneman's, uh, you know, the father of uh, System mm-hmm. 1, System 2, um, mm-hmm. Daniel um, talks in his uh, he talks in his TED talk that it's the um, the riddle uh, of experience versus memory. Uh, he mm-hmm. talks about the relationship between experience and memory, and he talks about the fact that we don't actually choose between experiences. He says we choose between memories of experiences. So mm-hmm. to your to your point about Disneyland, you might have an overall bad experience, but I I think. If you ask your kid, or if you ask a, a younger person who enjoyed mm-hmm. the ride too much, they will be thinking about the memory of that experience rather the than part. the overall yeah. experience. Yes, they will forget about the kids when they describe it. Maybe to their friends, they will talk about the the pics, the highlights of that experience. And and so so thinking as a marketer and taking into consideration that theory, Kahneman theory, mm-hmm. what what we ought to be influencing is how experiences are remembered mm-hmm. um, for, that, for that part of the cycle, that the feeding uh, side of our cycle. But there's also mm-hmm. the framing side. Uh, the framing side to so brand expectations can frame an experience and, and they can influence our experience. So, so, so this, um, uh, so I think it's, it sounds like almost like unreasonable, but uh, we can affect what someone thinks about a product or service if they try it first. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, we have, I have proof of that. I mean, I, uh, the company does. Um, there is, um, so he's no longer there. So Andy Farr, um, a few decades ago, and I say that, I mean, it sounds like a long time ago, but you see how good it is and uh, it's still valid. So he runs several tests looking at what happens to someone's attitudes and intent towards a brand when they try a product mm-hmm. versus when they see an ad about a product or maybe they do the combination of the two. Mm-hmm. So he, he tackled it from different angles. So he had different samples um, that had those different experiences and mm-hmm. some were trying the actual product, some um, were seeing um, a good ad for it, some were experiencing both. And I'm going to fast forward to the finding, which was... Um, uh, that it's the combination of the two that is the most powerful. So because Andy concluded that traditional theme advertising, so um, the repetition of uh, relatively weak arguments, creatively presented, does not influence product perceptions at the time that it's seen. However, it increases the likelihood of exploratory purchases, um, as in the out-of-interest one, later, later on in life. So again, he came to the conclusion that the advertising memories have a powerful influence on whether a product is felt to be good or bad competitively. Or else, and I finish here with it, uh, when something is tried, when a product is tried, the chances that um, the advertised brand will be purchased increase, significant, significantly increase. Right. Hmm. So... Uh, if I'm getting that right, uh, 
the sampling, sampling, sampling products, pairing it with power for positioned messaging. Yes. Is really powerful to get long term. Correct. 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 Revenue. Yes. Conversion. Yes. Um, and there's a, there's a, it's linked to that. And I always, I always remember it. Uh, it's not mine. Credit to Mark Ritson. But uh, he talks about the fact that quality affects image. But then he says right. image returns the favor um, and affects our perception of reality, which is no different to our uh, actual reality. So the two mm -hmm. are connected very much. And, uh, and um, so it's the same, it's the same thing um, with the expectations and the experiences. Is there, I mean, with, with respect to like pairing sampling and uh, with messaging, is there a way, and maybe it's not related to pairing messaging and, uh, and sampling, but is there a way to increase the purchase frequency of a brand by designing an experience? Maybe it's partly by the pairing or maybe it's something else. I think we've seen a lot of that, actually. We've seen a lot of that. Um, um, it's um, people are people, businesses are, are have been doing this quite a lot, but they were they were doing it to fight back um, to uh, inflation. So uh, they they actually make the package smaller and they try to mm. get consumers to buy more frequently. So it's it's a tactic, uh, and it's um, what is that? Shrinkflation. Right, mm, yeah, you yeah. reduce the size of the product uh, <laughs> yeah. simply because you want to maintain same, its price. Then, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. But and right. there is also interestingly, there's also the uh, skimpflation, which is you you are um, who is um, it's uh, Shep uh, Hyken, you know, he's a customer service guru. He talks about it as if it's like customer service on diet. He says about skimpflation. But, um, you know, we, we know from uh, research that we've done that consumers who have experienced uh, skinflation, which is like, you know, you, you are reducing uh, the quality of your product or service, uh, again, to try and maintain your price. Consumers um, are actually planning, those who have experienced it, they are planning to either significantly reduce or, or completely drop that service or buying that product. So experience matters. Um, hmm. So do associations, obviously, and uh, and that's how price becomes. Um, I mean, unless 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 you um, bring that in, price will be the single uh, determinant of a consumer choice. So our advice to, to to clients is not to try and get them to uh, to purchase more frequently by obviously doing any of these tactics, but to try and do what we said before: try and increase predisposition among all buyers, the heavy, the light, mm -hmm. the not customers, the ones who will be the mm -hmm. customers of the future. And that's how their purchase frequency will increase. Um, mm -hmm. In fact, actually, there is a study, we've done a study, um, um, so we, when was that? Um, a couple of years ago, I think. So we found mm -hmm. that higher affinity encourages repeat purchase, or else that repeat purchase levels um, varied significantly between brand buyers with above and below average affinity. Where affinity was high, if you had a higher affinity to a product, the percentage of, 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 buyer, of buyers who repeated their purchase in the following nine months doubled um, than those who had a lower affinity to, um, 
these projects. So I just trying to stitch a few ideas together that you're so mm -hmm. coming back to the beginning where we were talking about mental and physical availability, there's a general agreement there. Purchase frequency, like you can't buy something if you can't access it. So whether that's through mental or physical availability. But then I so I think that's one of the like base mechanisms for helping improve purchase frequency. But then on top of that, it sounds to me like the experience you create, if it's good, it creates a sort of trust within the product Absolutely. that it's yeah. worth it. Mm -hmm. And then you seek that out maybe more often from what you're saying. You increase your chances. In, on top of the mental and physical Correct. availability. Correct. So it's, you know, the positive experience creates this affinity to the brand so that yeah. it's kind of like an amplifier or a multiplier. Exactly. Exactly, an amplifier. I like that. Yeah. You know, the way the way I'm hearing this, and and it's going to tie into a, into a question here is like we talked about the the responsibility, right? And re marketing is usually responsible for one element of this, mm -hmm. but so much. If we you talked about seventy five percent is actually based on the experiential components of building mm -hmm. that brand trust, etc. Mm -hmm. So. Should marketing teams be more involved in those brand experiences? And if so, like how can they? Because usually they're separate departments. They live outside of the the, the marketing discipline. Mm. But how would you how would you like product design? Like as, yeah. as an example, product yeah, design, customer service, sales team, customer service. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the, the the first part of your question is quite straightforward. The second is tricky. The how is tricky. But the um, the we have a lot of data that shows an interesting paradox, right? There are very few brands that are fully harnessing their power to build experiences because these experiences will drive uh, brand value. Mm -hmm. And um, so let's say in the UK, maybe last year or the year before, it was only 4% of brands, a very low percentage, um, were felt to deliver an exceptional experience, you know, the type mm -hmm. of experience that um, can be a driver of brand value. But at the same time, we know exactly what you said before. You quoted the 75%. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you that from, from another part of the company, another, another set of studies, we've, we've, we figure out that you know, the, the product and service experience ranked third most influential touch point, no matter the size of the brand or the age of the audience that we're looking at. So all the evidence points to that they should be now the uh, now the how is is more complicated because yeah you know it depends on the sector on the vertical um how well uh, uh in the company a, a marketing team is integrated but because all the evidence is loud and clear mm -hmm. um you know ex experience plays a significant role in in building brand equity marketers should should try and i mean should definitely make it their mission to be in tune with how experience is created. I, so there's a whole bunch of things I want to ask you. And, and as I'm looking at it, just as a precursor, we might need to bring you back on <laughs> because I'm, I have yeah, 8 let's... million questions about the, th we haven't even got to the second article yet. <laughs> and, but I, I like, I'm so fascinated by this because, um, it's important that, like, again, going back to this, 25% of the brand building is from the ads, 75% is from the experience. Mm -hmm. You've got this 
the idea in marketing that brand building is about partially being consistent over time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right? And, and so for a company like uh, Snickers, we were talking about earlier, uh, Snickers, like you, you might just go through a checkout lane at the grocery store. I don't know if you even have that in the UK, but in, in Canada, we do where um, impulse you lane. go through the che- impulse lane as you're yes. checking out. No, There's all these things do. you can buy and just grab yeah. them. Um, I know they've can't, they've like banned those in some places because it's like it's just purely gluttonous. <laughs> but, um, so, but I, I might see a chocolate bar, buy a chocolate bar, like no thought, no delay. It's just it's there, and that's the yeah. physical yeah. Avail- availability part. Um, there's other products like if you're looking at buying an air a fleet of airplanes, like we used to work in the airline industry. That's probably a multi-year purchase cycle with all kinds of objections and whatnot but but the brand consistency like snickers let's say or boeing has to be consistent over time i imagine the packaging and the ads like they need to be consistent there's this classic Mm. tropicana example that happened yeah but probably more so even as the experience needs to be consistent over time Right. And is that that's a very fair point. Uh, that's a very fair. I mean, shortcuts are very important uh, to how the brain works. And again, quoting um, Daniel Kahneman, he describes the the human brain as mysterious and as a machine for jumping to conclusions. Now, arguably, uh, distinctiveness is branding 101. You know, it's one of the first rules of branding um, that, you know, the consumers should know that you're you. It's you. Uh, mm-hmm. And um, this is one of the things that uh, Byron Sharp and the Irma Bass Institute have been galvanizing the industry to remember, right? So the distinctive assets are truly useful in creative work. You, know, you codify everything, you mm-hmm. repeat it, and you, know, you get through to the distracted consumers. And all of us are these days. So in your Tropicana example, yeah, I think that's a striking case of that because uh, consumers were angry because they actually couldn't find it in stores. But it was there. Mm-hmm. It was there all along, but it was just camouflaged behind a, a vanilla facade. It looked, it didn't look like itself. It looked more like a, a store brand, a private label brand. Mm-hmm. So uh, the you shouldn't touch these codes. I think that we, we, we probably reached consensus on that. Um, so, um, and if you were to do that, I mean, play with something else. You, uh, yeah, find something else to play. Just don't play with the codes because, you know, um, it, it, will, it will likely not go well. And uh, you, um, I think the rule is for decades. You wait for decades, you know, work hard, work hard on, on them, establish them first, and then potentially your successor, even though we're talking about decades, could think about refreshing them. But um, as we talk about this internally, just because we, we talk a lot about our theories, it doesn't mean that our um, clients know them by heart. No, you've got to mm-hmm. reminding them. So it's the yeah. same thing for marketers. You know, they, we should never forget that no one really cares and um, no consumers, uh, no consumer pays any attention. So uh, just because we've been sweating over something, you know, months, um, consumers will still just glance at it, you know, if. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, just a yeah, resistant They don't patient. appreciate, <laughs> I love that. They yeah. don't appreciate yeah. that I spent 15 hours in debates 
Exactly. Whether it should be this font or that. <laughs> correct. Correct. Yes. Mark, you'll probably remember the conversation we had with Roger Martin around this very thing. And I know he, his example was he was using a sports app. They went through a redesign oh, yeah. and it just made it hard for him to, to, to really want to like that application again. So he just eventually just dropped it and, and went to another thing because his, his, <laughs> his idea was, is like branding is a shortcut for the brain. Right. So the moment that you start tampering with that and you make it difficult then for the mm -hmm. consumer or the experience now, then it becomes a friction point. So and it's funny, like the Tropicana is a unique example because a lot of its competitors were copying what their packaging looked like. And then they decided to go in a different direction. Right. So I thought I wonder, like over that time, if we had like numbers and what that actually looked like, mm -hmm. what was the the increase in potentially those other products? But. Yeah, it's a, it's a, yeah. And well, on that note too, like the we, you and I have definitely talked about this, and Mary, you've probably seen a bunch of examples of this. But you get a new marketing leader in, and one of the of yeah. any organization, and one of the first things they want to do is rebrand. Yeah. Yes, um, I mean that happens with anyone who gets a job, I think, um, <laughs> and it's quite high up, you know, like, that puts their stamp on it. But but yes, you're right about marketers; it, it often happens like that. Yeah. Instead yeah. of us, and it's our ours... job to uh, uh, advise them to, um, I suppose, how not more... do it. Yeah, <laughs> I was going to say objective view on it. Um, leave the ego out of it. You, you know, it's funny. I, and Mark and I have this this uh, this notion that as marketers, we're simply a steward of the brand for a moment in time, and our job is literally just to kind of carry the torch for the three, five, ten years that yeah. we may be in an organization. And then pass mm -hmm. it on to the next person and leave it in a better place potentially than we found it. But we can't think about it like our tenure should be defined by something like a rebrand, you know, because yeah. it's not thinking about the longevity or thinking of all the work that's already gone in. It's thinking very myopically in the moment. Yeah. And I think as marketers, we have to really change that frame of mind and really be more of a steward or a, like the I'm just going to carry the torch for mm -hmm. as long as I'm here versus me trying to reinvent the wheel in that same moment. Yeah, and that's exactly it. Uh, very nicely put, yeah. Because like, you know, the Tropicana thing is, an, as you mentioned, an extreme example, but I mean, that you have the potential of destroying the brand equity that we were talking about at the beginning was so important yeah. to defend and, and use. Yeah, um, I, I mean, the, the, the thing is that, um, we um because because you said that and you mentioned equity i'm gonna say that and because you're asking me we shouldn't forget we shouldn't forget that all the brand associations you have for a brand come to you too uh, if you recognize mm -hmm. it obviously so I'm, I'm there are some the other the other side of things uh or rather the one that sits on top the way i say it, the more slippery concepts of positive and negative associations um that you have for a brand what we call brand image. So, uh, because because I'm part of this conversation, um, and I'm so much into, you know, the cancer theories on a daily basis, the deep diving. Right? I'll tell you that this intended brand image that the marketer hopes to achieve in the mind of the consumer ought to be, you know, something more than just distinctive. Ought to be, I would mm -hmm. say, I would argue, meaningful and different. But. Uh, only, only to mention here that in addition to the distinctive assets, 
you know, it's, it's right. brand differentiation that offers the opportunity mm-hmm. for brands to go beyond the borders of just being easily recognized, um, mm-hmm. you know, and, and find product-based, experience-based, and even emotionally-based differences. These are the type of differences that break through consumers' expectations of parity. But I'm only mentioning that because the word um, equity was mentioned. Yes, they need to be recognizable, but there's something more to it, we believe. Well, you had a, on that note, perfect segue, uh, you had the chart in your uh, in this article about the, uh, how am I going to describe it? The, the influence of meaning salience and difference on yes. picking a brand today versus picking a brand in a year from now. And they're, those three factors, meaning salience and difference, don't have the same weighting for something today yes. versus something from a year from now. Can you yes. talk about that a bit and, and how that ties into the equity part you just discussed? Discussing. Absolutely. First of all, credit to Jorge Alagon. So, <laughs> that's his that's his table. Just, um, hey, Jorge. Proudly stolen. Yeah. Um, <laughs> say, well, we were saying hi to Jorge right now. But, <laughs> but you know him and I know him Graham, very well. Yeah. Yeah, He's yeah. one of our uh, Kansas brightest minds, actually. But he knows it's yeah. there and he contributes massively to anything that I do. But, uh, um, we talk about value a lot. And this chart is very... Dis- it offers a very descriptive way of how you can grow a brand's value. This is what it is. So, um, so the first thing I would like to say is that a brand's value is compatible with its brand equity. So it's the power in the mind of the consumer that we've been talking about. And that, the, that power in the mind is revealed in their choices. So um, for us, you see, for us, uh, equity is no longer a, an enigma. You know, brand equity is... It's not a mystical concept. Um, mm-hmm. we, we have power metrics that are surrogate metrics for understanding and predict sales. And, and it all links to, let's, maybe, maybe we can say it as a chorus now, uh, to MDF, to our meaningfully different framework. You know, it's a framework which uh, helps you decipher whether you need to be moving the needle in being perceived as one second or the third we can talk about this now, but I know you've um, you've talked um, with me before and Jorge Allen, but I'm going to say, it. okay, whether you're moving the needle in being perceived as meaningful, as in meeting people's needs, different, mm-hmm. as in being more unique, uh, being the trendsetter yeah. in your category, and salient, you know, if you are a brand that comes quickly to mind in a purchase situation. And you see the question that this table answers is um, is whether um, every uh, lever, so every single one of these three dimensions, needs to contribute the most. I mean, whether whether, whether um, each one of these levers um, contribute um, equally, and which one contributes the most to sales, and is there a difference between the present and the future? Um, and the answer is, uh, you know, no to the first question. Not all level equally levers right. rather equally contribute to sales, um, and the advice obviously varies. I mean, this is a, you know, this is a typical makeup of brand growth now and in the future. But the um, the advice that we give to clients obviously varies by category and market situation. I, um, 
and and a salient brand, um, a salient brand. One one that comes to mind easily is more likely to be chosen now, presently. You know, right. different is not much of a contributor. Well, it is, but it's like one fifth of the purchase decision uh, relies on people thinking about whether brand is different or not, whether it's unique, mm-hmm. whether it's setting trends. But to generate sales in a year's time, in a year from now. Salience alone doesn't suffice. We call this often empty salience. So it's the brands that have excess meaningful difference over salience that are more likely to grow and be profitable in the future. This is what it says. This is what the chart says. There's lots of chew on there. There's, um, there's also, like, I was thinking about it in terms of th- this particular chart, in terms of Peter uh, Field and Les Bennett. Mm, Do you mm, Bennett mm. or Bennett? Bennett? I think it's Bennett. 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 Yes. Um, they're long and short of it because they're there's they talk about the impacts of long and then the impacts of short. There's <laughs> benefits on both, and it, it, to me, it, because of the timeline, it it has similarities in my mind to from what you're saying. Exactly. Exactly. No. Saying. No. No. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's that it's that time frame that makes the chart so special. Um, why your brand is big today, you can explain it with meaning and salience mostly. Why right. brands really grow if you try to explain that with brand perception, mental availability, brand predisposition, is because they are they're being now meaningful and different. This is what it says, and this is how it connects to the short and the long term, to the now and the future. So and linking it back to what we were talking about before, like the a brand's equity partly is the combination of their uh, expectation meeting the experience mm. and then doing that consistently over time. And so the power of choosing a brand today, you know, if it comes to mind quickly and there's good meaning, uh, you know, mean, relevant meaning to me, then I'm yes. going to fix that today. But then if I have a good experience that helps create that, differentiation in the long term it makes me think of it again when i come up into the purchase cycle for the next time correct and to use the word you used before it amplifies the chances of being chosen right and it amplifies the the recall of it oh yes yes at a later date yeah absolutely yeah yes We're not. We're not going to get to that second article, man. No, we're not. <laughs> we'll have to do this again, Eric. This is like so fascinating for me. I've always like I, I legitimately always struggled. I started out well, like ten years ago. Be check check me on this too. But thinking about um, everything had to be different, and that was the point of marketing. And then I, you know, moved into. Um, mental and physical availability and distinctiveness over difference. And the part I was always unsure of is how experience, because it has to have some kind of impact on sales and revenue, brand building, all that kind of stuff. And designing experiences is the thing that marketers can be involved in. And I always struggle with fitting that into um, the model of mental and physical availability, because it's not apparent there and so i've just i find this so fascinating because i feel like it's kind of 
bringing two worlds in my mind together. Yeah, it's all linked. And linking a few Lines things. together. Yes, you're right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I didn't say it. You said it. it's fascinating. I agree. Yeah. Um, do you got anything else? Um, well, we started with a wish. Oh, yeah. I think we should end we with a wish. Yeah. I Right. Okay. What? Well, um, is it is it um, just because it's a special year and it has been a special year? Um, can I ask for for peace in the world instead? I mean, I just um, I just feel sometimes that there's um, some bigger things happening out there, and uh, I mean, marketing is important and we love it, but um, I just think we can get the marketing thing fixed. Um, it's okay to wait a little bit longer, right? <laughs> I'm going to go for peace this time, peace in the world. Okay. And uh, hopefully if we, um, uh, when we talk next, not if, um, I'm going to be able, and you start with the same question, I'm going to be able to say yes. Yes, my wish was granted. <laughs> fair enough. I think that's very fair, very fair. Yeah, that's good. Mary, really appreciate your time um, and really appreciate the insights from same, same. you've been able to share with all, with us from all of the work that's being done at Kantar. So I appreciate all that. I, Thank you. Yeah, I, I love speaking to you and I loved our, um, uh, our dialogue. I, I really did. I really enjoyed our conversation. Yeah, it's been super fun. It, like so insightful and thoughtful and like just so much to chew on. But yeah, I appreciate your time. And um, and I loved even the, the the short bit we did in Greek. Maybe we should, you know, every time we do it, we increase it, right? We'll, we'll start then, increasing it. We're going to work on yes. our Greek audience. Yeah, gradually, everyone will be fluent. Uh, one day, we'll, we'll oh, replace we a, English. The English yeah, language. we should do an offshoot of like Greek with Mary and V. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, thanks, Mary. Thanks Appreciate a lot for your time. Thank you very much. Thank you. Time for the post-pod discussion with Mark and V. You go. Mary's back. <laughs> back again. Tell a friend. Post-pod. Let's do this. <laughs> How'd that go? That was, I thought it was great. Really good. Way better than I could have done. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, I did have the song overplaying in my head as I recognize it. It's a distinctive asset. See? The song. Yeah, soundtrack. Yeah. It's... Well done, V. Thanks, man. Thanks, man. Um, well, what can I say? First of all, we got Mary back. Um, mm -hmm. and we had an agenda to talk about a whole lot of stuff, and we didn't even get through everything that we wanted, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, yeah. You know what, though? Like, I'm okay with... <laughs> Not that I wanted to force the agenda and, and like <laughs> just get through for the sake of asking the questions but no. there's just I, honestly like there's we talked about it a bit towards the end there there's so much about experience that i just i don't think about nearly enough and we had a moment to talk to her about it and i just feel like given the, all the research and insights that they have around experience and how that creates meaning and how that creates difference it's just interesting to have the chance to her brain on that kind of stuff man like like I'm, I'm i have what three pages of notes here i was just trying to like feverishly write down everything that she was saying and there's a few things that stood out 
and it kind of came up in, in the in the interview as well. But when we think about brands and as marketers, like we were hyper focused on the ads, making sure like they're spot on. But the reality is when it's only 25 percent mm-hmm. accountable for the total brand experience and 75 mm-hmm. is coming from all the experience touch points. Mm-hmm. It shows you that, I don't know, if you were to say, let's just focus on that 75% mm-hmm. and the 25% we had to cut at any given time mm-hmm. because recession, because of whatever, brands could still live. And that's kind of a scary thought to me. You know, mm-hmm. I always thought that ads maybe played a larger role. But if it is only 25%, maybe. I don't want to say there's merit to them constantly cutting our budgets. If everything else is checked off the right way, mm-hmm. it, I don't know, man, I struggle with that a little bit. Yeah. Well, so we were talking about Disney as an example. Yeah. Like I, I think, you know, there's a few things when we talk about the role of marketing and I love your line of questions always kind of comes like, <laughs> where does things fit in the marketing operation or within the business? Like, branding yeah Uh, you know i love those kind of questions because it's forcing me to think differently and bigger than just say the promotional p if you think about pricing product and place as part of the marketer's uh, scope yeah then you know there's a huge opportunity even if there's a reduction in budget for a marketer to create impact within an organization beyond the ads we run because it's one of the four pieces. It's not the only thing we do. Um, and then in, in thinking about Disney, like I literally was like in this lineup for an hour and a half and there's this one part and um, it's Peter Pan's <laughs> Peter, Peter Pan adventure, whatever the uh, uh, ride was. Um, but you go through this lineup part and there's a, a section where it's like a, a waiting room. Like it's not just a straight line, right? right. There, there's like all these different areas that you go into and there's different experiences within the rooms but there's one particular room that you spend a fair bit of time in and there's like this shadow that's being cast over this wall and then you can see tinkerbell flying around and stuff yeah. but you can play with bells that are shadows hmm. and so there's a, a bell that pops up and okay. you can with your shadow hit the bell and it will make a noise or you can hold your hand out and some butterflies will plan fly and land on on your on the shadow of your hand and things like that. So kids are just like mind blown. This is amazing. Of I course. Mean, even me, I was like, this is amazing. But, <laughs> I'd be amazed. <laughs> but even that, and then I started thinking about that as an experience and it creates a brand experience. So then I was thinking about that and how it applies to like just benign things that you just ignore all the time. Like what is our sales process? What is our customer service? Exactly. Process? Like how do we take that idea of, while people are waiting, entertaining them or providing them with extra value um, so that it's not just a straight process. Like you can design all kinds of experiences to brand an organization. And, you know, I think there's a role for marketers there too. Yeah. And I, and I think that's where my mind went. And I know like off camera, we, we had a, just a quick conversation, uh, you know, with Mary around like, well, the idea of like decentralized marketing versus a centralized marketing function mm-hmm. and, and whatnot. If a marketing department in an organization is literally only responsible for campaigns, 
go-to-market ads, et cetera, I could see how quickly that discipline could be marginalized. If, mm-hmm. however, a marketing department has more eminence across some of those other experience touch points, call mm-hmm. it, you know, um, sales, the service, the, um, what's another good one we could use, the product itself. Sure. Because remember, marketing should be that con- the customer voice internally, right? So it yep. should have a, a, a way to kind of impact. Then all of a sudden, the marketer's job is a lot larger than it is just simply pumping out ads. So then if you if there is a decrease in budget, mm-hmm. that doesn't mean you can't still have an impact to the organization and the brand. Right. But all too often, a lot of these structures are very... I don't want to use the word myopic, but just very um, uh, siloed almost. Oh, yeah, siloed. Responsibilities. Yeah. Re- exactly. Uh, the responsibilities are siloed, which doesn't allow for true that end to end, maybe management or impact that then all of a sudden a marketer may feel marginalized because, hey, you don't trust marketing because you cut my budget again. Mm-hmm. But in that moment, like a marketer can be thinking bigger. It's like, well, I could still impact the brand differently. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't think we do that. Mm-hmm. And it comes back to structure, though, you know, and mm-hmm. I don't think we're set up to do that the right way. And that goes back to our last year's conversation. Where does brand live? Oh, sorry. Mm-hmm. The, the podcast, like, uh, what is it? Who owns it? I'm still a big believer that brand in of itself doesn't needs to live outside of marketing. Right. It's like the brand and it's like sure. all the customer touch points um, and the ability to market the, the the actual thing. But then that's how you kind of future proof a team as well, uh, because now you're you're looking at multiple end to end touch points to help mm-hmm. impact that. So anyways, my mind was going a mile a minute as she was going through a lot of this stuff. Um, another thing that I was thought was really interesting is like the chart itself. And I know. We're doing video now, so we can kind of use our hand gestures and, and everything. <laughs> Maybe we can figure out how to put this chart in as a, a link or something like that. But Yeah, but like or, the meaning. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah. Go, go, go. No, I was just going to say, maybe we can even figure out a way to do it, like show it on the video. That would be next level. That would, if there's any video out there, <laughs> video editors out there would love to help us out with all this. We don't have money. <laughs> just, just raise your hand. Fun. This is just for fun. But honestly, like when you think about like their meaningful difference network and have the meaning, salience and difference and then their impact on purchasing a product today, what was it like 40 percent was is attributed to it being meaningful, 40 percent was it being salient and then 20 percent was it being different. But that same product, if you're buying in a year, the numbers change drastically where you have the meaningful jumps from 40 to 45 the salience drops to 10%. So it's not as important in a year, but that's where your difference makes up the difference. Well, your difference makes up the difference, but it jumps to 45%. So I think, again, thinking about the longevity and the way you're, you're marketing it and the way you're thinking about it, you know, there's probably two out of the three things where you have to be more focused on, especially in the long-term versus the short-term. Um, and that's where sales and salience, you know, become very myopic because it's in that moment right so that's the discounting effect um and it's why it probably works never done this yet you think this is gonna work i don't know like it looks like it's working to me we have we have officially shared a screen (laughs) 
we're software. this is amazing okay if this works then i'm gonna be super excited we, we have so many we other can options now oh no kidding this is gonna be great so obviously uh, the visual does a lot better way than me describing it <laughs> well i think you did great thanks buddy yeah um anyway i'm, I'm with you like there's <clears throat> there's just a lot of interesting elements to consider um in terms of like creating value from an organization's perspective from the marketing department, mm -hmm. you know, it, there's a, a formula that I've, I think you and I've talked about before, but the one that I, I like thinking about a lot is value equals benefit minus cost. So you can increase value by cutting costs or you can increase benefit or some combination thereof. And so, right. you know, I think from an organizational perspective, you could think about, marketing improving marketing's value by decreasing their budgets which cuts costs but from a marketer's perspective you can look at that and go well how do i increase the benefits i'm providing for the organization um and things like whether the company doesn't or not you know i i don't know but mary talked about a little bit that brand gap of what expectations are you setting into the mind of the customers and then what are you actually delivering against and i don't know if that is being measured often by a lot of organizations, but there are studies out there and it oftentimes looks like a punchline. Yeah. 80% of people we ask in an organization think they deliver greater brand experience. 5% hmm. of customers agree. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like there's yeah. often this massive disconnect. And so I think there's a, you know, from a marketer's perspective, you can look at a chart like that and think about how do we close the gap? And then instantly you're thinking about different ways to create value outside of just an ad budget. I agree. I agree. And if, and again, this is changing the way we think about, you know, um, structures in the way that the role of the marketer and organization. But if, if we do a better job in, in my opinion, at least, and showing our value across the other areas as well to help mm -hmm. build those experiences, then I would argue you may have an easier time making a case for budget because now it's mm -hmm. like it's it helps build the frequency, it helps build the mental availability. Like it has so many downstream effects on mm -hmm. the on the experience that you're trying to build across in store. If we're using a bricks and mortar example, for instance, mm -hmm. um, you know, and I because now your value is outside of just like driving a campaign. Mm -hmm. Totally. And I think all too often we just stay in that that space and that's how we become the coloring department totally yeah super interesting and the other thing uh my last sort of take well not last but the last i'll talk about here uh was just that the importance of being consistent not just on the brand perspective like in terms of distinctive assets you're building yeah <clears throat> though i think that is really important like crucially important, but also thinking about it from a, an experience perspective as well, just the consistency um, of having great experiences and pairing that with recognizable distinctive assets over time can yeah. be a way to create differentiation without it be having any different of different product. Like you can sell the same shoes as I can, yeah, but we can have a completely different experience. Like Zappos is always the thing I think of when it comes to that completely differentiated themselves on customer service yeah. as opposed to say Amazon or any other retailer. Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny, our shared experience in retail, you know, 
how did we differentiate ourselves from like the Amazons or some of the other retailers that showed, you know, sell the same, sold the same shoes. Mm-hmm. It was the experience that they're trying to create in stores as well, right? The digitization of the stores, if you recall, mm-hmm. maybe we went too far with some of it and it wasn't actually useful, but it did create a different experience for the consumer walking mm-hmm. in through those doors. So I think like the experiential retail or, you know, in that, in that case, there is a huge validity of it. And that's why like research and development, you should constantly be looking at that. And then obviously like if we go back to Tom's conversation that we had like late last year, like don't be blinded by the trends that you're seeing. Like don't, don't think about the metaverse right now. Like mm-hmm. think about other ways you can you know, genuinely create experiences with your consumers today with the mm-hmm. technology that exists today. Like don't, mm-hmm. don't, at least in my opinion, and I don't want to say like, don't invest in technology. It, it does make sense to stay curious about it. Like for me, stay close to the metaverse. Don't mm-hmm. overinvest there yet because I'm sure there's other areas in the organization you can probably be focusing that attention uh, to. Sure. But it, I don't want to say it's not difficult, man. Like even with Andrea, we were talking about like the customer centricity. Mm-hmm. It's not hard. Just put the voice of the guest or the voice of the customer in your organization. Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, it's a really it was a good conversation, Pete. Yeah, man. I'm, I'm glad we did that. This is uh. We'll, we'll probably have to break up because we didn't get to the second half. I want to get to like the performance branding element, really, genuinely, because I yeah. think that's an incredible. Not only will it be an incredible conversation, but it's another way of reframing you know, the, the idea of branding, be more mm-hmm. performance oriented. Like, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, I agree. Yeah. Anyways, Mary, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks, Mary. And B, adieu. Adieu, my friends. This is, uh, it's been a slice. Good. Shout out to you. Sounds good. Have a good day. Yeah. Ciao.